1: Today on the show, we're taking some LSD and following our dreams to become the highest paid podcasters in history.
0: $100,000 per minute, Leo. (laughs) Minimum. The bidding starts at... (laughs) Welcome to Gom Jabbar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name's Abu. My name's Leo. And Leo, it's about to be a wacky episode today.
1: Man, I knew we would have to do it eventually... Yeah, this is going to be a ride. (laughs) Uh, You, if you've hit play already, have seen the title of this episode. Mm -hmm. We are talking about Jodorowsky's Dune.
0: Indeed. (sighs) Leo, you and I both recently watched the documentary, Right. which full transparency, I have to admit, I had not seen. I hadn't either. Yeah. I had heard about it, and we've actually had a listener email us, and that was sort of the inspiration for today's episode. It's something we both sort of knew we'd want to tackle, Yeah, but we have to give credit where credit is due. Yeah, Armin from Austria, thank you so much for emailing us and suggesting that we do an episode about Jodorowsky's Dude. Here we are, doing it.
1: Yeah, thanks, Armin. And as always, if you have an idea for something, reach us at gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we would love to hear from you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Reach out to us. Send us the things you want us to cover, that you want to learn more about in the Dune universe. Email us just to say hi. We love it all, and we do our best to try and respond. So definitely reach out to us if you're a listener. We love to keep in touch with all of you.
1: Absolutely. Now, we are going to be talking about this documentary, which is about Jodorowsky's Dune, his adaptation that never happened. (laughs) Right. We're going to be talking about the documentary, and we'll be spoiling the documentary to a degree obviously you know the surprising moments in the documentary we will talk about them so Mm -hmm. that is your warning for the documentary spoilers yeah regarding dune by frank herbert we will be talking about jodorowsky's ending and thus somewhat spoiling the ending of dune Uh, right right i recommend if you haven't read dune maybe come back to this episode once you have If you haven't read any of the later novels, don't worry about it. The only thing we're talking about is the ending of the first book, mostly because of what Jodorowsky did. It's it's pretty crazy.
0: I can't wait to talk about it. It's so absurd. It's so just absolutely bad shit. Now,
1: Jodorowsky's Dune, the documentary came out in 2013. Is that right? Yes. And it's about a movie that never happened in the 70s, but... When I say it never happened, it got like two years into pre-production, mm-hmm. you know, script writing and casting and, you know, and we'll we'll talk about some of that. And the documentary does a great job of kind of laying out how close the movie got to happening. Mm-hmm. And there is kind of a joy in speculating what could have, what would have been if the movie had happened. And yeah. we're going to be focusing on Jodorowsky's vision of what Dune was going to be. His movie was going to be Mm -hmm. in his adaptation of the Dune universe, which keep in mind, if you've seen David Lynch's film, this was 10 years before that, which is really kind of baffling to think about.
0: And it's really interesting to sort of like you're saying, Leo, speculate about what Jodorowsky would have done or could have done had this movie actually taken off and some of his more bizarre ideas had made it to the screen that's what we want to focus on today today's episode isn't really going to be a movie review <laughs> podcast quote-unquote yeah. we're not going to be talking about the documentary itself for critiquing the way the documentary portrayed certain things some of that might seep in of course during our conversation but we're really going to be focusing on chodorowsky himself and what he was trying to do to the dune universe absolutely So before we get into the more specific things we want to talk about with Jodorowsky's Vision, for those of you who maybe haven't seen the documentary and are interested or watched it a while ago and need a bit of a refresher, here is a very quick 60-second synopsis. Jodorowsky's Dune is a 2013 documentary directed by Frank Pavich. And the documentary explores, like we've said, Jodorowsky's failed attempt to adapt Dune to film in the early to mid-70s. Alejandro Jodorowsky himself is a Chilean-French filmmaker, author, actor, and (laughs) (laughs) mime?
1: Naturally, yeah. Uh
0: (laughs) It says on his Wikipedia page, take that with a grain of salt, I guess. Like, can't guarantee that that's true. But as we learn more about Jodorowsky, I believe it.
1: I saw in a couple of articles about him and about this documentary that came out in 2013, I did see that he was trained as a mime.
0: Okay. I believe it. So Jodorowsky gained sort of cult cinema notoriety in the early 70s for two of his most well-known avant-garde films, one called El Topo and the other called The Holy Mountain.
1: I have a couple of friends who are very heavily into like art cinema and like movies as art. Mm -hmm. And a number of them hold The Holy Mountain as one of the best art movies ever made. Oh, And I wanted to put that out there because we might be a little bit harsh (laughs) this this episode. Yeah. I I think that it's just worth noting, again, we're really talking about his vision for Dune and his adaptation of the text of Dune as we continue talking about this. Just wanted to put that out there.
0: Totally. No, that's a completely fair disclaimer to say up top here. I haven't seen El Topo or The Holy Mountain. Yeah, yeah. I am not the type of film person who watches experimental avant-garde <laughs> yeah. art house films, you know? I spent today watching the Pacific Rim anime that just came out on Netflix. Like, that's <laughs> my cup of tea. So High art. <laughs> exactly. Like, Dorowski yeah. is probably not making the types of films that i would watch or enjoy so <laughs> yeah. that that is a fair disclaimer to say up front that at least for me personally i can't speak for you leo Jodorowsky, i probably would not come across Jodorowski's movies and watch them yeah. of my own volition if dune was not involved here
1: you know i watch these sorts of movies when i'm in the mood i got my degree in art so it is
0: you know and how's that going for you <laughs> <laughs> we don't let's not talk about it
1: we don't talk about it we don't need to talk about that it's great it's going great uh <laughs> But I I often watch these movies with this sort of sense of this is way above my intellectual pay grade. <laughs> like, I just don't I just don't get it some of the time. And right. again, art isn't always meant to be understood completely. This is sort of a disclaimer for how we're about to dig into the movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. So back to Joe Right, The guy makes El Topo. He makes the Holy Mountain. He gained some notoriety, especially in sort of like the the smaller avant garde art house film circles. And then in 1974, Jodorowsky sets out to adapt Dune, yeah. which at this time is a very popular science fiction novel. This becomes an obsession for him for the next, like, two plus years of his life. Yeah. And he sort of obsessively works on this, gets a team together, and this is all explained in the documentary. He gets this, like, crack shot team together to start the pre-production of this movie he wants to make, this, like, epic, massive project. Until this epic, massive project eventually dies when zero studios that it's pitched to agree to back it or support it financially, creatively, or in, or in other ways. Right, right. And that's the story that this documentary covers. It, it sort of takes us through this journey of Jodorowsky deciding to create Dune, and then the like tremendous work he put into it, and then this disappointment of it not getting backed by the big studios in Hollywood. You know, I want to point out here,
1: according to a couple of interviews I read of Jodorowsky, he hadn't read Dune.
0: (laughs) He he says that in the documentary. He admits it. He
1: says it. And his friend's like, what are you going to do next? And he's like, "Uh, Dune. (laughs) And then he claims in one documentary, he waited for the bookstores to open at 6 a.m., bought the book, Mm -hmm. and finished it like 16 hours later. A 900-page book, to be clear. (laughs) To be clear. It's nearly 1,000 pages. (laughs) And... uh, I wonder how much of it he remembers. Yeah, But you're absolutely right. The documentary makes clear there's a sense of disappointment that he wasn't able to bring his dream to fruition. And not eight, nine years after the project falls apart, Mm -hmm. David Lynch's adaptation comes out in theaters, right? In 1984. Mm -hmm. And he was apparently dragged to it by his kids. And they were like, no, no, you've got to see this. And he didn't want to. (laughs) And then he apparently and he says this in the documentary he says this in all sorts of interviews he's not shy about this, this this kills me he's sitting there going this is a shitty movie thank god yo thank god he fucked this movie up which rude first of all oh my god savage this guy is brutal it's like totally uncalled for and you know abu you and i watched david lynch's movie and we weren't swept off our feet with how great it was
0: yeah look i don't disagree with Joe Rask. to be <laughs> clear
1: <laughs> it had pugs it had you know patrick stewart with kind of a mullet
0: carrying a pug into battle yeah just that scene alone eight out of ten in my book <laughs> yeah look there's a 30 minute reaction video of me and leo watching the david lynch dune <laughs> on our youtube channel lord party podcast network go watch that incredibly fun time watching that together yeah. but i i will say it was really interesting that Jodorowsky just outright, in this documentary, laughs. And he's like, I was filled with joy because the movie was shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I was happy that it sucked. And on some level, you can understand that, right? And on some level, you almost have to... Give him props for just being really brutally honest about that. Like, of course, he's going to come at it from a biased perspective. If someone else got to make the movie that you spent two plus years of your life obsessing and then it sucked, (laughs) you're going to feel kind of good about that. So he's pretty he's pretty open about his feelings about that. Yeah, That's a good point. Now, the other movie that's being made, of course, is Danny Villeneuve's upcoming film. Right. Which none of us have seen yet. Right. And he had some thoughts to share about the Danny Villeneuve adaptation as well after he saw the trailer, which we, of course, we were all very hyped about. Right. He's on the record saying that he wishes Danny the best and he hopes that the dude movie will be a big success for him. But that he watched the trailer and he thought it looked predictable and that there were no surprises in the trailer.
1: Yeah, like that there's a lot of money, but nothing more than that that he can see yet.
0: Yeah. And to me, I read the full quote and it... To me, it seemed more of a jab towards Hollywood yeah. than it did towards Danny Villeneuve or his adaptation. Yeah, yeah, It seemed like a jab of like, oh, it's predictable because it just looks like a big money blockbuster that Hollywood churns out year after year, you know, and Jodorowsky being this sort of experimental avant-garde filmmaker. Of course, it's going to look like a boring Hollywood production to him. Yeah. So I think that was more of a jab against Hollywood than it was against Danny Villeneuve himself. So again, I don't disagree with Jodorowsky's takes here.
1: You know, I mean, honestly, if you were to show me side-by-side shots of moments of the Dune trailer and Prometheus, could I pick them apart? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, he's not wrong that there is a look of Hollywood and, like, big-budget movies that this movie sits in, but I've heard this argument often from colleagues as I was was learning about art and art history of as soon as big money's involved, you can't actually make a, like, soul-stirring work of art, which... I just think is utterly wrong yeah <laughs> it's like just because it looks a certain way or is funded a certain way or even has a certain person behind the helm makes it suddenly not art I just don't agree right I don't know it, there's there's a lot of gatekeeping in the world of art and why why you why you gotta poop on people's parades just
0: completely yeah and it's interesting because I think Jodorowsky would actually disagree with you yeah you know, he's very much this, like, don't become part of the machine. Like, if Disney approached Jodorowsky to make a Marvel movie, he'd be like, get the fuck out of my face. You know? Like, Yeah. So he, that's the kind of, like, capital <laughs> A art guy he is. Or at least that was my impression from watching this documentary. A
1: hundred percent. Yeah.
0: And the documentary is full of, like, interview footage with him and quotes from him. And that, that was the vibe I was getting on top of other vibes that we'll get into. Yeah. <laughs> that I was getting from Jodorowsky. But... Let's uh, talk about his vision, right? That's what we're here to dig into. That's going to be the meat of today's episode. Right. The documentary shows tons of concept art and character sketches and this, like, giant, giant book of storyboards. Like, the dude, like, storyboarded out the entire movie. Yeah. And it's this incredible, almost ridiculous amount of pre-production that Jodorowsky and this team that he put together did before they took it to Hollywood and it got rejected. And the documentary shows a ton of that. It doesn't show all of it, but we get glimpses of what Jodorowsky wanted to make. And that's what we want to talk about today.
1: You can also find online, I was kind of delighted to to find this, you can find online a full script, basically, that Jodorowsky's team distributed as part of like a crowdfunding campaign uh, for another Jodorowsky film. And we are going to talk about a couple of moments from that script because that is a more comprehensive view of his actual vision of the story, you know? Mm -hmm. We get, in the documentary, we get these glimpses, we get to see character sketches, we get to see... And I think that's... I think we're in agreement here. That's, like, the best part of the movie. Yes. It's so beautiful, parts of it. It's so gorgeous. And it was interesting, you know, I read the script top to bottom the other night, and I'm glad I did but it also kind of cemented some of my suspicions. But in any case, we do sort of build if you watch the documentary and you see these kind of fun visions, you do get kind of a general understanding of how his vision differs from the original novel and Mm -hmm. I think we can talk about some of these things pretty safely, you know? Yeah. Especially considering if you've listened to all of the spoiler-free episodes of Gam Jabbar some of these points you will recognize as being patently different from Frank's vision of
0: Dune. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you did a very brave thing and read through that entire script, which I didn't do. <laughs> so, Leo, please, take it, take us through some of the highlights. What stood out to you from that script?
1: Yeah, well, just to start off, we talked about in the timeline of Dune that Terra, planet Earth, was hit by an asteroid, that humanity has is not on it anymore, but that it is still around, and it's this sort of preserved park in Jodorowsky's vision, Earth is utterly gone, and weirdly, humanity is stuck in the galaxy by this magnetic wall, which kind of <laughs> like rings Truman's show for me, you know? He's on the boat and he gets to the sky wall, and he's like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. Yeah, humanity's stuck in this one part of the galaxy, which, for anybody who's read the later Dune books, doesn't really work. Right. Also, uh, Duke Leto, famously father of the main character, in this version, uh, was castrated in an accident that also killed his father. And Abu will be talking about that later.
0: Yeah, we're going to touch on
1: that. (laughs) Uh, A couple of characters, for some reason, are just differently named. Piter, that we've always called Piter DeVry University. (laughs) (laughs) Go Bobcats! Go Bobcats. What the groundhogs? Oh, it
0: was groundhogs.
1: Shit. I was like, is their mascot changing? <laughs> He's called Peter throughout. So I don't know. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Also, there was a point that like Thufir Hawat, his name just had an extra T throughout all of the publicity materials. <laughs> why? I mean, why?
0: <laughs> why would you change that? We're going to be asking that quite a bit this episode <laughs> as we talk about. Joe Taraski's vision. <laughs> Just a desperate pleading.
1: Why <laughs> is my response to so much of this adaptation, uh, Baron Harconin, who in the book mm-hmm. he's held up constantly. He's he's such a certified thick boy that he is constantly held up by suspenders, literally gravity-defying Holtzman suspenders, mm-hmm. to help him move his beautiful bulk around wherever he's going. In Jodorowsky's version, they're used a little bit more intermittently. Like they're used in a dance sequence, which is fun, but that is that is different. I mean, again, this is... In the book, they're not in any sense like intermittent use. Yeah. <laughs> they're kind of an all-the-time thing. He needs them. He needs them. To
0: physically move around. Exactly. Yeah, it's a requirement.
1: Now, we get a few in Jodorowsky's version. We do get a few bloody kind of action battle scenes that happen in the books but happen off-page. So we don't see them happen, but they happen. And in Jodorowsky's version, we are there in the thick of it, which is kind of surprising. Mm -hmm. When I think of like art films, I don't think constant action. (laughs) I don't think fight scenes. But weirdly, his adaptation has a good number of fight scenes.
0: Yeah. And it's a movie adaptation of a book. Yeah. Reading action in a book is not as exciting as seeing action on the screen. It's true. So that makes sense. Add in some action scenes that maybe happen off page in the books. That seems like a good change to me.
1: Yeah, honestly, I'm not opposed. This is one of the changes that I think works for the movie medium rather well. Yeah. Now, a couple of character changes. Duke Leto, who I mentioned is weirdly castrated, is way more like reckless and kind of defaults to violence as a solution more often in the in Jodorowsky's version than you'll see in Dune. And one of his, like, masters of war, Gurney Halleck, who's kind of known as this poet warrior, in Jodorowsky's version, Gurney comes up with a strategy of building a human meat wall shield, meat shield, out of women and their children. Yikes. Where you, you don't want your soldiers to get damaged, so put women holding their children in front, um... The Atreides would never. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think I need to stress this. These are the good guys. (laughs) (laughs) These are literally the protagonists of Dune. They wouldn't do that. They would never. Oh, my gosh. There's no universe in which an Atreides, a loyal Atreides, would do this. So, I mean, I guess props to Jodorowsky for writing exactly what the Atreides wouldn't do. (laughs) Mm. I mean, exactly, perfectly
0: wrong. That's a theme we're going to touch on a little later, too. Yeah, yeah. Another strong
1: choice, we'll call it, was, you know, the story has themes of prescience. Halfway through the movie, you just see the ending of the movie, which is like <laughs> a really, I mean, I guess it's in line with prescience, but, ah, um, oh, okay. I guess it, if it works for you, buddy. Mm-hmm. And then finally, really, the last like fifth of the story is very, very different. And we will be talking about the ending of Jodorowsky's Dune. Just know that the last fifth of his vision of Dune is not even remotely...
0: Not even close not, to what not actually happened. Even
1: <laughs> He threw the dart at the dartboard and it ended up in the bar next door. It's a wild deviation from the from the roadmap. So anyway, those are, those are sort of the biggest changes. There are some other changes, but um, it, there's not a lot that I can say about them without directly comparing to things that happen in the story. So I just know that there's a lot there's there's a lot of small differences here and there
0: yeah and, and i will say in regards to the ending he sort of cripples the possibility of future <laughs> movies the way he ends yeah. it we'll, we'll get into it. we're about to talk about the ending here but that to me seems on brand from jodorowsky yeah he's not a franchise filmmaker you know what i mean like he's not <laughs> making mcu movies he's not going to be part of the system like one and done here's my masterpiece Drop the mic, I'm out, and uh he definitely didn't have any intentions of making a Dune too, as far as I can tell. Yeah, at, at least what we can interpret from how he chose to end this movie. But yeah, I mean, a lot of changes in this adaptation. Some you would honestly expect, right, Leo? Like, right, things are gonna change. When you adapt a novel to the screen, things have to change. It's a different medium. It's a different way of storytelling. Totally, We expect the upcoming Dennyville New adaptation will also change a number of things from the novels to make it more palatable maybe to a larger audience, to make it uh, easier to to understand or interpret some of the more complex things happening in the novels. Those are going to be changed a bit for the adaptation. But we hope the heart of the message that Frank Herbert— is trying to convey in his novels, the heart of the story and the heart of the characters remains intact. And that's really all you can hope for with an adaptation is that the soul of the original work is still there. Totally, Even if the things that support it have to be changed for the medium. Yeah. But with Jodorowsky... <laughs> some things changed a lot yeah, and I would argue tarnished a lot of the soul of Dune as well. So I think we should, we should get into some of the more specifics we've, that we've been sort of hinting at you and me watched that documentary in preparation of this episode. And we each picked three moments from that documentary to sort of dive into more deeply and talk about specifically. So I, I think the best way to approach this maybe is we bounce back and forth. I do one, you do one. Sounds good. And we'll go down our list of, of our three picks that we want to talk about, the things that like really right. really stood out to us in this documentary.
1: I definitely was looking at the things you chose, and I think that we are uh, critical at about the same times <laughs> and complimentary at about the same time. So yeah. let's start off with this first one. You wrote down uh, the character sketches, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to start off by talking about some of the character sketches that we see in this documentary. Right. I will say, despite my complicated feelings about <laughs> Jodorowski's adaptation sure these character sketches i really really liked pretty dope they were so so expressive and colorful and unique yeah It it, it really gave <laughs> me jojo's bizarre adventure vibes yeah if you're a fan of anime and if you've seen that particular anime mm-hmm. you know exactly the vibes i'm talking about these like very colorful striking character designs that are instantly memorable, and I think Jodorowsky's characters, at least their costumes and their designs, would have been instantly memorable. Totally, if they followed these sort of sketches and early development outlines and sketches that they showed in this documentary. Yeah, just so, like I was saying, vibrant and colorful and expressive. And what I liked about that is sort of going back to Jodorowsky's critique of Hollywood and big budget filmmaking, all looking the same. A lot of modern sci-fi does kind of look the same, right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: It's either this, like, Blade Runner-esque aesthetic where everything's very drab and dark and neon and gray. (laughs) Right. Everyone's wearing, like, a big gray coat with a pop collar or whatever. (laughs) Or it's, like, the sleek, shiny Star Trek vibes where everything is, like, holographic and blue and, (laughs) once again, gray. And that's sort of the modern vision of what sci-fi is, right? Right. These characters that they showed have, like, pinks and purples and yellows and greens, (laughs) like, their clothing, their designs, so expressive. And I think that kind of speaks to 80s science fiction was definitely a little more surreal like that. And modern sci-fi has sort of now trended towards this, like, grounded, brown, gray, drab sort of future these character sketches just they, they were instantly memorable to me and they were kind of astounding and i was like wow i want to see that version of paul adreni's on screen
1: right yeah
0: that would have been something
1: and none of them were excessive
0: <laughs> well well some of them were a bit too much i will say some of them.
1: yeah i don't know
0: what it was about the 70s and 80s leo yeah but men in cod pieces was such a vibe Men in science fiction, and we I mean, we literally saw Fade Rotha, yeah, in a cod piece in the movie and the Fade Rotha in Jodorowsky's dune in like a bright bejewelled cod piece. And I'm like, yeah. why?
1: Pretty bold, he's the villain. Can you tell? He's dressing for heat. <laughs> He's dressing for the desert, you know?
0: It breathes. It
1: breathes. Nothing exactly. breaks like a cod piece.
0: <laughs> Only a cod piece and maybe a cape.
1: You, you have to have the cape.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, you're totally right, though, Leah. Like some of the designs are really, really interesting and some of them just take it way too far. <laughs> the the Baron is like in these like very bright jewels and mm. some of the clothing is like very frilly. And, you know, at the end of the day, it was still extremely colorful right, and memorable. Right. And the fact that I remember that bejeweled codpiece piece that fade ratha is wearing speaks volumes
1: so uh gamjabar cod piece merch store when <laughs> it's coming soon it's coming soon
0: yeah it's going to have her faces on it
1: you're really you're right that a lot of sci-fi is either wally or it's eva right
0: uh i love that yeah yeah
1: it's either drab dirty dark or it's sleek futuristic and it also, if you look at imagery from El Tapo and The Holy Mountain, he does love colors, and he uses colors really expressively in some really incredible ways in those films. But when it starts getting in the way of either taking a character as seriously as you absolutely have to for the story to make any sense, or when it's leaning into really problematic tropes that were prominent in the you know 70s and 80s, yeah. Again, just better to leave that behind.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Though the casting, can we talk for a second about the people who'd be wearing these cod pieces and lounging in these colorful jewels? Because the illustrations are incredible. You're totally right. And then the people that he managed
0: to get. Oh, man. baffling. Baffling. It's crazy. And he convinced them. Yeah. It's wild. So let, let me quickly run through some of the main cast that this documentary showed us. Right. First and foremost, Paul Atreides is played by Shilrowski's son. A little weird. <laughs> a little weird. A little strange. And it, it kind of delves into this, like, yeah. icky territory of he's training his son and trying to raise him to, like, embody the Kwisatz rack and to become this, like, Paul-like character. He Like, there's an interview with the son, and the son is like, I mean, he's a grown man now, but he's like, he wanted me to just be paul yeah like he was raising me to just be paul in this fucking movie yeah and i'm like that's not a good way to raise your child
1: six hours a day seven days a week for two years yeah his son was being trained to like fight and stuff
0: yeah it was very weird the fact that he even casted his own son was very weird yeah and even in the documentary itself there is a interview with Joe jodorowsky where he says like looking back on it dune became this like obsession for me and it's something that i would have done anything for like i would i would have died to make this movie at the time yeah and now i feel a little bit of guilt on in how i treated my son when it came to casting him in that movie so i think jodorowsky definitely recognizes that he he did not treat his son well in his obsession to like try and force him into this casting role as paul but that was a choice he made back then uh, among some other choices he made (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like deciding to approach Mick Jagger yep. to play Fade Rotha and Mick Jagger agreed yeah said yes <laughs> also 10 years prior
1: to Sting playing Fade Rotha so kind of shocked at how close to the actual like David Lynch's adaptation some of these are
0: yeah yeah <laughs> Another casting choice that just baffles me, and this is such a wild story, they get into this in the documentary, is he really (laughs) wanted Salvador Dali to play the emperor, and he went to such great lengths to convince Dali to do this. And we cracked a joke at the very top of this episode about being the highest paid actors. That's in reference to Dali. Dali demanded to be paid... $100,000 $100,000 per hour. He wanted to be the highest paid actor in Hollywood at the time. That's the only way he'd agreed to be in Jodorowsky's <laughs> dip.
1: Yeah. You want me to wear that codpiece? $100,000 an hour. <laughs> <laughs> That's my price. Now, what they did then was say, how about we pay you $100,000 per used minute of footage, mm-hmm. and then we, we will build a Salvador Dali robot to... Be the emperor in all but like three and a half minutes of f- footage so they'd, they'd pay him like three hundred fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars for his three and a half minutes and dolly said yeah i'll do it if i get to keep the robot
0: <laughs> and to be fair i don't think dolly wanted or cared about the money no yeah he just wanted to put on his resume i am worth a hundred thousand dollars per hour that's how much you got to pay me yeah and so like Dolly agreed to be the emperor. Yeah. Absolutely fucking bad <laughs> shit. That's wild. And the final casting choice that this documentary gets into <laughs> is the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. That's crazy. And this is also absolutely crazy. Yeah. Jodorowsky really wants Orson Welles to play it because <laughs> Orson Welles has this reputation of being like a heavy drinker and a heavy eater. He's like a bigger guy, heavy-set guy. Yeah. And Jodorowsky really wants him to play the Baron. <laughs> Yeah. So he meets him at his favorite restaurant. You know, Jodorowsky makes his pitch, and Orson Welles is like, no, I'm not interested. I don't want to do this. <laughs> but Jodorowsky's like, this is your favorite restaurant, right? I will hire the head chef to be on set, and you will eat like you do in this restaurant every day you're on set Will you agree to be in the movie. And Orson Welles agrees. I, I can't <laughs> believe it.
1: Like this whole, again, whatever we say about Jodorowsky. He is a superb storyteller, and some of these sound myth-like. I mean, they sound not real. Yeah. But everyone involved in the project seems to be on saying this. This is how it happened. So, God, I guess, I guess he got Orson Welles.
0: <laughs> really crazy stuff. And Joe Rasky comes off as such a charismatic, really ambitious. Like he's got this sphere of like you believe him when he says this movie is going to change the world, and I want you to be part of it. And you're kind of like absorbed into his sphere of influence. Yeah. For a second, you're like, yeah, like this dude's maybe crazy enough to change the world. And then the bubble starts to burst a little bit. And you're like, ah, this dude's kind of a <laughs> megalomaniac. And right. he his ambitions are maybe a little bigger than, than the reality. But you can't deny that he worked his charm on people like Salvador Dali and Mick Jagger and Orson Welles. And at the very least got them to agree to be in the movie. Whether or not they would have followed through with it if the movie had actually been made is another story, an answer that we'll never know. But they at least, to his face, agreed to be in this movie for him. Really wild stuff.
1: It's incredible. As we kind of wrap up this point, uh, tying it back to the, the art, it is worth mentioning that he had Geiger, this incredible painter who was already kind of had a name for himself in the the painting world who then went on to work on alien and applied a lot of that same energy to the first alien movie yeah not to mention he also had mobius right is that how you say it mobius yeah yeah and he's the one who like hand storyboarded the entire book so really to kind of emphasize and completely agree with what you were saying The character illustrations, as wild and crazy as some of them were, Mm -hmm. and the people who are going to embody them, were all brought to life really beautifully by the artists that he also got to buy into this idea of Jodorowsky's Dune. Yeah, Really incredible stuff. One of the things that I took away from the documentary, which I really appreciated, was that each planet and each major house had its own aesthetic, and he actually... So first, you know, we were talking about Mick Jagger and Dali and Orson Welles. <laughs> he also approached and got Pink Floyd crazy to uh, agree to make the music for like most of the movie. I mean, they were going to be the soundtrack for this movie and just immediately like great stuff. Then he approached a couple of other musical uh, groups, but he settled on this band Magma and they would carry out the quote warlike rates and rhythms of the Harkonnens. Mm -hmm. So literally the Harkonnens would have their own painter, their own artist, as well as their own band and their own kind of music so that the scenes with the Harkonnens would feel different. And what a great way to use cinema and what a great way to use film to highlight those differences. I just think that's a strong choice. And I think a good adaptation of Dune does need to make sure that, you know, the different houses and the different families, they have their own cultures and their own aesthetics and their own sensibilities. And showing that to us rather than just telling us in some exposition, I think that does need to happen in a good adaptation.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I hope the upcoming Danny Villeneuve New film does this as well. We need to feel the difference between how the Atreides act and how they conduct business between the emperor and the Harkonnens and the other families in the empire that we've discussed, and even the other Mm -hmm. factions, the Bene Gesserit, the Spacing Guild. Uh, It's important for them all to have a differentiated aesthetic, and this was a really interesting way for Jodorowsky to approach it. I actually agree with you. I appreciated this part as well. The fact that he went to such great lengths really does show his dedication to making sure – hey, these are two very, very different clans of people, the Atreides versus the Harkonnens versus the Bene Gesserit, and they all deserve their own sort of treatment. Yeah, And yeah, I completely agree with you, Leo. This, this was one part of Jodorowsky's vision that I appreciated <laughs> and that I hope translates yeah. to, you know, Denis Villeneuve, any other adaptations of Dune.
1: This is kind of a double-sided sword, though, because while, you know, the, the other side of this is that In some ways, it might have been too extreme, Mm -hmm. you know, cod pieces (laughs) notwithstanding. The upper echelon of Dune politics, the great houses, a lot of them are, if not directly related, from very similar stock. So having Harkonnen look like a completely different universe or a different movie could be too much and I think would work against the fact that though they are different cultures and though they might have different dispositions and they treat people differently and they treat their planets differently you know we talked about how giddy prime house of the Harkonnens is this industrialized polluted awful place whereas Caladan house of the Atreides is this luscious beautiful well kept paradise well yeah such are the values of those houses and given 10,000 years of living on a planet the dominant you know space faring people will have a direct effect on that planet's climate so Mm -hmm. that is not outside of the realm of understanding. But having them speak, for instance, different languages would be taking it too far because that's then breaking some very real rules in Dune, which is that everyone speaks a common language, right. basically.
0: Yeah, definitely. There, There is a fine line to walk there. I, I agree. It's still a single universe and they're all still humanity. But the differences between the houses is still important to... And, and the planets. We talked about many of the planets in our Planets of Dune episode, all of them should be distinct, and I hope they are visually and aesthetically and totally. musically. Yeah. So, Leo, the number two item on my list that I wanted to talk about yeah. is yeah. the ending. Yeah. We've been teasing it all episode. We've brought it up earlier. Let's finally talk about it. Yep. Yeah. And just to reiterate, this is Jodorowsky's ending to Dune, and it is not the ending to the actual novels. <laughs> yeah. So we won't actually be spoiling the novel and what actually happens in the books not even close <laughs> this is purely from Jodorowski's mind right let me try to summarize this in some fashion here so in Jodorowski's dune at the end paul atreides <laughs> dies yeah and the planet arrakis undergoes a instant transformation imagine this as the final scene of the movie we see the spice melage becoming agitated and almost coming to life across the planet, sure, the planet starts growing grass and plant life all over it becomes this like lush green paradise. uh-huh. The question that pops into my mind at this moment is what the fuck happens to the worms? <laughs> Who knows there's no explanation of that. <laughs> the worms are so critical to the deep universe anyway, again, Joe Doravski's version, not the book version. The melange is agitated, grass, lush planet. Arrakis is suddenly and instantly transformed into a paradise planet. Right. Paul's conscience is absorbed by the planet, and Arrakis becomes sentient is how Jodorowsky <laughs> literally describes it. Yeah. That's his word. He says Arrakis becomes sentient by absorbing Paul's conscience.
1: Naturally. Uh huh.
0: And the planet decides, with his newfound sentience, yeah. to travel across the galaxy, <laughs> Right. quoting Jodorowsky here again. Quote, illuminating other planets along its path. Don't know what that actually means until it eventually leaves the galaxy.
1: Yeah. Road trip.
0: And disappears. (laughs) Roll credits.
1: Roll credits.
0: (laughs) That is the end to Jodorowsky's Doom. Wow. Or at least the end that he envisioned. Right. And it's a trip. None of this happens in the books. (laughs) None of this even makes sense to happen in the books. Right. And if we want to give it more thought and credit than I think it deserves... I will say this, like, absolutely batshit crazy ending really disregards a lot of Frank Herbert's message in the Dune series. Yeah. (laughs) It's astounding to me how off the mark Jodorowsky is with the way he chose to end his adaptation of it. The book itself, if you've read it, you know what Frank's message is. And to have the planet instantly turn into a paradise and to have Paul die and to have the planet just zoom across the galaxy and then disappear, like, none of that makes sense to Frank Herbert's original vision.
1: Solving all of the problems.
0: Yeah. It's very, very, very weird. And we would be remiss in not not bringing this up because there's a really problematic part of this documentary. Yeah. It's not the documentary's fault, and I'm actually glad they kept this hint because it it shows us a little bit of the darker side of Jodorowsky, I think. Right. But we would be remiss in not bringing this up. When he's talking about the end to his adaptation of Dune, he proudly states that he knows that this is not how the book ends, and he's changing it because he wants to. This is the ending that he wants for his movie. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, you shouldn't (laughs) respect the novel, you shouldn't respect the source material. And then he goes on to make this extremely problematic, comparison yeah about how he's treating the source material of dune to how you would treat your newlywed wife and defile her and sexually assault her and i'm not saying the word but i'm sure you can imagine the word he used here the r word right and he makes that really problematic comparison and he has been criticized a lot and rightfully so for making this comparison it, it's Completely inappropriate, and that's not even a like woke twenty twenty one viewpoint. Like it was inappropriate in nineteen seventy, in nineteen eighty, it was inappropriate in the twenty thirteen when this documentary was probably filmed and released, and it's inappropriate now. Like it, it's extremely <laughs> weird. It paints him in a really bad way. Yeah, and this was a point in the film where I was just kind of like, okay, I don't know how to feel about this Jodorowsky guy.
1: You know. I laugh because I'm it's just I'm so incredulous that he like I, again I I know people like this who have these kind of extreme I don't care what you think about what I what I have to say and what I you know but it's just so wrong yeah and so vile to to make that comparison and also I mean, when I was watching the documentary, at this point I was pretty on the fence. I was like, this guy's clearly cult of personality. Mm-hmm. He's clearly got some strong artistic visions. Any extreme artist is gonna have fans and gonna have critics and that's natural. Totally. But then he talks about this and again, you have to wonder why even then do this book? Like why even attach yourself to the Dune name? Yeah. If if that's if that's how you're gonna treat the source material. Yeah. And it's so it's bad
0: yeah th- this was definitely the point where i kind of turned against jodorowsky in the documentary and i was like yeah. i don't want to hear anything else this fuckface has to say <laughs> like, <laughs> this was bad this was bad and we we wanted to make sure that we mentioned it here it, it would be extremely disrespectful of us not to bring this up and and point out that jodorowsky says this problematic thing and makes this problematic comparison and it's right there in the documentary and I'm i'm glad they kept it you know i'm sure that was something that they went back and forth on about Do we cut this? Do we leave this? Is it weird? Is he... But I'm glad they kept it. We needed to see that side of Jodorowsky's mind as well. Yeah. But going going back to how he treated Dune and how he treated this ending, I personally, not a fan. Even before I heard (laughs) this problematic comparison that he makes... Yeah. Even before that point, I was kind of starting to turn against Jodorowsky because I was like, "This is such a terrible ending <laughs> to your adaptation. It would have been a disrespect to Frank Herbert's source material 100%. and to the entire fucking point of Dune." Like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm maybe I'm like too attached to Dune at this point, And as a big fan of it, I would feel this like rejection to changing it so fundamentally. But this was one thing, how I mentioned earlier, like you want the soul of the source material to be intact. This was one thing where I was like. Jodorowsky, you're destroying the soul of Dune here by changing the end so fundamentally. I mean,
1: one of the best things about Dune is its message of, you know, it's got some very deep conservationalist messages, and creating this ending where it's like, you know, a single savior solves the world's problems, <laughs> and then the world goes on to solve all of the other planets' problems, <laughs> is flies so f- in the face. Of the careful, meticulous planning and determination by a people to take care of one's planet, it's, it's baffling. It is exactly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Again, maybe as a work of art, it would be interesting and visually spectacular. And some other story, it would be a very fulfilling ending to some other, you know, artistic declaration. But as an adaptation of Dune, it's just awful yeah it's just <laughs> so awful bad
0: and i mean paul dies that this is a note this is actually your number two pick on your list yeah let's talk about that <laughs> paul dies in jodorowsky's Dune. we gotta talk about this
1: i don't know if y'all know this but there are more books <laughs> five more of them <laughs> there's five more books kind of tough when you just kill the character <laughs> uh yeah so okay let's reiterate this is not the ending of dune we're not going to talk about what the ending of Dune is. It's a great book. You should read it. <laughs> you should read it. <laughs> Highly recommend Highly recommend it. If you can't tell, we're a fan. Now, in Jodorowsky's version, Paul is killed by a character who simply would not kill Paul <laughs> for so many reasons. <laughs> he dies mid-sentence. He says, you know, has his throat cut and he goes, one cannot kill me because... And then he falls heavily to the ground dead and his mother continues in his voice, obviously... To kill the Quisatz Haderach, you have to also have killed me. And then every (laughs) Freeman uh, and Atreides begins saying, I am the collective man, he who shows the way, also in Paul's voice. Oh my God. And then everyone chants, I am Paul. I am Paul. I am Paul. In his voice. In his (laughs) voice. In his voice. Again, played by Jodorowsky's son. But <laughs> th- this is aside from my love and respect for Dune and the reverence with which I hold Frank's mind and, and poetry and creative capabilities. Completely separate from that, purely as a like popcorn eating moviegoer, this could be a really cool scene. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That could be really what a twist, right at the end. Yeah, pretty pretty cool.
0: A very I am Spartacus moment.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Cool. Yeah, neat. Coincidentally, almost exactly the opposite of Dune's central themes. (laughs) 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 Broadly, the series of Dune is is a warning against messiahs and a warning against a single person solving all problems. You know, there is this definition. We've used the word Kwisatz Haderach a couple of times. There is a definition of Kwisatz Haderach, which is one who can be many places at once. And if you just told me that and then said, write a script where someone becomes one who can be in many places at once, maybe I could see you getting to this ending. But that disregards the entire, like, 900-something pages of Dune yeah. to get to that ending. It's really—it's it's pretty baffling.
0: It's something. And you know what? Speaking of disregarding Dune's message about Paul— yeah. This segues very nicely into my third and final point on my list here that I wanted to touch on. Sure. Which is how Jodorowsky decided Paul was born in his adaptation. Because it is not the way he was <laughs> born in the original source material. You don't say. <laughs> you mentioned earlier, Leo, that Leto First, Paul's dad, yeah. played by Oscar Isaac in the upcoming film, mm-hmm. in Jodorowsky's version, yeah. is castrated. Can't have a child. Hard. Harder to have kids
1: that way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But look, we're in Joe mind here, right? He's gonna find a way to make this happen. He's a problem solver. <laughs> the way it goes down in Joe Dune is that Leto the First being castrated can't have Paul naturally. Yeah. He falls madly in love with Jessica. Uh-huh. Okay. So far so good. This tracks. Sure. And then she decides <laughs> to take a drop of Leto the first's blood. Yeah. She transmutes it into semen.
1: Didn't know she could do that, but okay, continue. <laughs>
0: Didn't know that was a Benny Gesserit power. And then apparently, according to the storyboards right. that the documentary showed <laughs> us, and Jodorowsky himself describes this to us, we see this drop of semen yeah. travel up her vagina, yes, and impregnate Jessica. Yeah, the documentary like animates the storyboards here, and we like really Jodorowsky goes to great lengths and very excitedly explains this. He gets so hyped. <laughs> he gets so hyped about this. It's extremely creepy. But that is how Jessica is impregnated, blood transmitted to semen, travels up her vagina. We, we are on that journey with the semen. <laughs> and that is how Paul is born in Jodorowsky's version. Why would he do this, you may ask? Yeah, why? <laughs> Jodorowsky apparently didn't want Paul to be born of sort of normal, lustful desires, you know, birds and the bees. Get rid of them. None of them. (laughs) uh, Dear listeners, your parents have had this talk with you. Leo and I are are not responsible (laughs) of having this talk with you. You know what we're talking about. Or you don't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We we promised not to spoil anything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Jodorowsky didn't want Paul to be born of, like, normal sexual desires. He wanted Paul to be born of Pure love and apparently Benny Gesserit witchcraft.
1: <laughs> can, I, can I quote him here?
0: Yeah, yeah. The direct quote is so great. I'm glad you wrote that down here. <laughs> quote, Paul had been
1: born from a virgin and not of the sperm of his father, but of his blood. Which, if you've watched The Holy Mountain, religion and like the iconography of religion is something that he often works with. Yeah. But also, this is just completely... Against everything Dune's about. Yes.
0: This makes Paul into like this Jesus figure. Yeah. This literal fucking Messiah, <laughs> which Frank Herbert is like, no, no messiahs no. are bad. <laughs> they're
1: bad. <laughs> they're it's, a problem.
0: They're a problem.
1: Jodorowsky's like, I hear you. I love your book. Didn't read I, it.
0: I get that. I, I understand what you're saying.
1: Uh, He's Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I fixed your story, bro. <laughs>
0: Again, it's astounding to me how off the mark this is. And to, to your point earlier, it almost, almost makes it seem Jodorowsky didn't read the book or read it so quickly in 16 hours that he missed huge, huge parts of it and completely missed some of the messages here. So I hate this. I, it should be very clear. I hate this change. Paul's weird birth yeah. late to the first being castrated it's all so unnecessary and so just out there and weird and goes literally against what dune stands for and it also like not to get even more nitpicky but it also goes against everything we know about the benny jesserit breeding program like if the benny jesserit can just walk around taking blood samples and turning into semen like why the fuck are they it's just so wrong it's he's solving a problem he made yeah. he's like
1: well how is leto gonna have kids right he just has kids no but he doesn't have a, he, he's been castrated right what <laughs> since when <laughs> <laughs> well since i made
0: him that way god what a weird adaptation <laughs> what a weird adaptation all right leo my head hurts let's wrap this up what was your third and final point here
1: you know, he didn't read the book. He did read the book. Okay. He read the book. And if you read the script, there are a lot of scenes that are almost word for word, the book. And those scenes are great. (laughs) I was reading the script going, oh, this scene's really wonderful. Oh, wait, it's exactly what happened in the book. (laughs) It struck me watching the documentary, how many people were like, I'm on board. I'll do it. I'll help you adapt this movie. What is it about? It's about Dune never read it yeah <laughs> and some of them were like still haven't read it <laughs> uh but we we're really excited to pour hundreds of hours into this project yeah so okay not there's no secret here abu and
0: i you know we we, we love Dune, right <laughs> we love the books i would i would characterize our feelings about doing that way yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. my my dad uh,
1: just as a side note you know he illustrated our um our little icon
0: yeah our, our podcast cover art yeah
1: yeah he works as a, as a book cover illustrator. And, you know, if he got a job, you know, illustrate the cover of this book, he would read for the most part. <laughs> I can't claim he did this for every single book in his career. But he would read the book because for him, as the artist giving you a cover, he would want to make sure that he knows the tone and the symbols and the characters. And that's a sort of attention to craft and an attention to care around a project that I see utterly missing here clearly clearly the people he assembled Jodorowsky assembled were dedicated you know a number of them moved to Paris <laughs> like yeah. set their lives aside and they moved to Paris, but didn't read the fucking book. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I I don't get it. First, it's just a oh good book. God. Do yourself a favor. Read it. It's, right.
0: it's a bestseller. <laughs> it's
1: it's it. a classic. And at that time, it was like relevant and popular. Now it's a little bit more niche. I get it. But still, I and I don't even mean this to, to like besmirch the individuals, the artists, because very clearly... They were all bought into the vision that Jodorowsky had and into Jodorowsky himself. Yeah. Very clearly, they said yes because of the man in front of them, and they committed themselves for two years, two plus years, to bringing his vision to life regardless of the source material, which this doesn't necessarily mean it would be a bad work of art, but when we're talking about its clarity as an adaptation of the story, yeah, of course it's going to miss the mark if no one working on its read it. And Dune on the surface is kind of a fun romp through the desert. But when you take the time to dig into it the way that Abu, you and I do every episode and the way that so many people have done for so many years, the story is so rich and exciting and motivating and challenging and cool. (laughs) And it warns against things that we still fall prey to in 2021 as a society yeah, and those messages are utterly lost. If you leave your understanding of Dune at a very surface level mm-hmm. sure, but it's just not going to be a good adaptation and it's not going to be faithful as you were saying earlier Abu to the spirit of Dune and the soul of Dune.
0: Yeah, definitely. I agree it was this cult of personality around Jodorowsky. Your first impression of that guy is like, wow He's something else. Like, he's so electric. Yeah. He is maybe this genius that I don't understand. And I can completely understand how these people would have just blindly followed Jodorowsky, not knowing anything about Dune, into this massive project. I can completely understand how he would have convinced them right. that this was a life-changing project, that this movie would be the movie of all movies. That, you know, he says this even in the documentaries. Like, I wanted to change the consciousness Of the young people of the world with this movie, you know, he's making these like bold claims about this project. It's understandable that like this dude hires you. He probably promises you a lot of money because he thinks this is going to be a massive success or be super well-funded and you're on board. And I think much of this team that Jodorowsky put together shows up in the documentary and shares their experiences. And many of them only have good things to say about working with Jodorowsky, right? Yeah, yeah. Again, you have to question the motives of the documentary and the way things were maybe positioned a bit there. But if we take them at face value, what these team members said, they all were like, he was so electric and he pushed you to be a better version of yourself. And he let us experiment with our art and try new things. And he had this grand vision and we could really see ourselves following him. And it speaks volumes that they followed him and they did not follow Frank Herbert's vision. Yeah. With the actual novel itself, so I, I completely agree. Like it, we we've sort of talked it to death at this point. But Joe in my opinion, and I think I speak for you as well here, we think he completely missed the mark of Dune <laughs> and getting yeah. the message right on it, yeah. and really kind of went ham with his own vision. So that kind of leads us to our wrap-up question. Let's end this episode as we always do with our episodes with a little question for the two of us. Yeah, and the obvious question here. After watching the documentary, after having talked about it extensively now. Right. Leo, in an alternate reality. Right. Let's imagine Jodorowsky got to make this movie. This movie that is anywhere from three hours long to 12 hours long, like he claimed. Do you think this film would have been a commercial and critical success had it been made? No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: No. I mean, to be clear, Jodorowsky wasn't looking to make a commercial success. In fact, it really seems like he kind of sneers at the idea of commercial success. Yeah. Money, as he puts it, is shit. (laughs) Uh, Weird that he didn't get enough of it to make the movie. Mm. You know, strange the way that works. But no, I mean, he wanted it to be, to be clear. He took it to Hollywood and said, it's going to be 12 to 16 hours long. Yeah. (laughs) And they were like, no, it's so long. (laughs) no one's gonna buy a movie ticket it's 1971 no sci-fi movie has been successful yet no one's gonna buy a 12-hour movie ticket and he was like well i guess you don't like art then (laughs) it's like (laughs) my guy no i i I just don't think he recently on record has said well you know look at the hobbit they made three hobbit movies and it's like yeah they made three separate hobbit movies (laughs) that were separate movies and told one overall story which you were actively fighting first of all with your script killing the main character at the end and creating a road tripping planet but also i mean maybe critics would have liked it right like maybe art reviewers would go this is amazing this is incredible but the average viewer you know in the same way that if you look up like the meta scores of his actual films that he did do none of them are blow away successes I'll I'll just say this. Keep in mind, this movie included a torture scene that involves removing the limbs of someone one at a time as they're like screaming and suffering. And it's a character we all like. Uh, A 14-year-old wife uh, being killed. A mother-son kiss added to a climactic moment, which... Not in the book. Not in the book. Not in the book. (laughs) Hashtag not in the book. And mothers using their children as meat shields but like for the good guys
0: for the good guys as we've discussed like not the book none of this is in the book
1: i kind of hate this movie yeah and it wasn't even made so i am with you if the question is like if it were made would you like it suddenly i really i have a hard time looking at the script again having read it top to bottom i have a hard time looking at it and going yeah (laughs) that would be good no i don't think so what about you
0: I am completely with you. I also find myself kind of viscerally hating this movie that never actually got made. Right after watching this documentary and learning like what could have been and what Jodorowsky wanted it to be, I hate it. And to answer the question here, would it have been a commercial and critical success? No. Right. Just no. <laughs> yeah. Look, the guy made these like trippy avant-garde films, and he never really found like massive commercial success or massive worldwide success right right would this film have been maybe bold and quirky and dramatic and potentially a cult classic yeah i think so i think i can say that it would do that much at least we talked about the character designs earlier how vibrant and bright and unique they were and some of the choices in the script and some of the choices that jodorowsky wanted to make with his adaptation definitely bold definitely quirky right for the best maybe not but it definitely would have been a very unique film right i don't think there's any arguing that but would it have been a good adaptation of dune i think our stance on this is very clear no the things we've talked about completely and utterly destroy what dune stood for the changes he wanted to make with the ending with paul with leto with the choices around the atreides it was just anti-Dune in so many ways. Right. And it just would not have been a good adaptation. It would not have represented Frank's original work. Yeah. And that being said, I think it would have flopped, ironically enough, in the same way that David Lynch's adaptation flopped <laughs> for not being a good adaptation of Dune. Yeah. Like David Lynch and the creative team behind that movie made some decisions, maybe not as bold and outlandish as Jodorowsky did. But they still made some really dramatic changes to their adaptation. And in my opinion There's the milking cat. <laughs> the milking cat is one example. The 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 blood seeping out of Paul's eyes and the him talking to the worms is another example. Like so many choices were made in that movie also in a different direction. And it flopped. Yeah. And I think Joe movie would have flopped for the same reasons. Right. And if the movie had been made I think it would have mostly been remembered as, like, a bad adaptation that diehard Dune fans, like, joked about or hated on. Yeah. And I think really the only people that would even know about it would be, like, those snobby film people that just, like, love talking about movies that no one's ever seen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That would have been Jodorowsky's legacy, I think, with Dune, In at least. There's a point in this documentary where someone at some point says... Jodorowsky's Dune could have been the Star Wars before Star Wars, because remember this is the early <laughs> '70s when he's developing this. Yeah, and uh-huh. if the adaptation has been had been made, Dune could have come out before Star Wars did. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that claim for one second. Like, <laughs> no. this would not have been Star Wars before Star Wars. Like, are you kidding me? What an absolutely wild claim. The documentary, I know we're not, like, critiquing the documentary itself. But at the end, yeah. Yeah. it goes on to make such, like, wild fucking claims. Like, Joe Jodorowsky's Dune has gone on to influence so many sci-fi movies. Like, Prometheus came up earlier, we talked about. They make these comparisons to how the way Joe Dorowski drew... The sword fights and his adaptation in the did you know he invented sword fighting it's true true fact and the star star wars jedi sword fight looks exactly like jodorowsky <laughs> wanted it. Like, oh, it
1: looks like sword fighting
0: <laughs> at that point i had already like soured on jodorowsky at that point near the end of the documentary i was like fuck this guy fuck his adaptation of dune and fuck this claim that like he <laughs> created so much of like iconic sci-fi like though you know in their defense
1: it is true that Jodorowsky assembled this team of people and 40% of them went on to work on Alien together because of knowing each other from him. So, yeah. I kind of I get that. You know, I, I don't want to take that from them cuz it is true that he brought together some incredibly talented people.
0: He certainly had an eye for talent. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and they had like this 2-year time to like incubate some very interesting ideas some of which he also went on to utilize in his like graphic novels, but yeah, no. They they talk about hollywood executives looking at this phone book thick pre-production book and lifting ideas directly from that for their terminator
0: i forgot terminator yeah
1: and the star wars sword fighting which is just sword fighting (laughs) it's like
0: uh, there are some absurd claims made in that made in this documentary but all of that is to say no i don't (laughs) think it would have been a success yeah it would not have changed the consciousness of young people around the world like jodorowsky wanted and in fact, if I may make a bold claim, sure, I think it would have actually if the movie had gotten made and had a big budget and totally flopped and been panned by critics, I think it would have actually scared Hollywood from ever trying to adapt Dune again. And we may never be getting a modern adaptation from Dennyville new, you know, it's
1: possible. It's really possible.
0: Maybe it would have scared Hollywood being like, we can't touch this IP. It's been tainted. Right. By Jodorowsky's. <laughs> bejeweled pieces, you know like
1: they must they have to be there i mean it's practical desert wear okay yeah (laughs) look
0: utility it's hot in the desert okay it's hot it's really hot it's dry it's hot (laughs) absolutely bonkers but yeah i certainly don't regret watching jodorowsky's dune the documentary right i am certainly glad i am aware that this potential thing could have happened but i am grateful it never did (laughs) And I think the entire world dodged a bullet. And I think many Dune fans who love the source material as much as we do, who are so close to the Dune novels and the stories and characters and the world and the messages that the novels contain, this would have been a betrayal of the thing they love. And I'm glad it never happened. I'll say,
1: you know, if you want to see some cool art, I would recommend read Dune. Read the book. Come on. It's a good book. book.
0: It's a bestseller.
1: It's a bestseller. (laughs) It's a bestseller. You don't have to move to Paris. You can just read it. You're allowed to just read it. It's a great book. It's a bestseller. (laughs) Once you've read it, once you know what it's about, and once you've seen the twists and turns and you see how Frank Herbert handled it, feel free to watch Jodorowsky's Dune, the documentary, because I did find, as a Dune fan, I was like, oh, it's so fun to see characters in this way. Like, there was... Throughout the incredulity and throughout the kind of <laughs> building frustration at this guy's admission of, of not really having any respect for the, the book, uh, <laughs> I would say it, it is certainly a spectacle. And I think, again, I'm not really equipped to assess a documentary, but I enjoyed the documentary. I thought the documentary was very well put together. And as a product, examining this weird could have been, it was enjoyable. Yeah, But- If you haven't read Dune or if you haven't seen Dune, I would worry about this setting any kind of expectations or leaving a a taste in your mouth that potentially could get in the way. So I I would save it for after.
0: Unlike the team that attempted to create Jodorowsky's Dune, read the source material first. Yeah, please. And then watch the documentary. It's a good book. That's our recommendation to you. It's a bestseller. It's a bestseller. (laughs)
1: Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word of Mwadib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, he who controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the
0: golden path.